and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note, ask any questions, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. So we are in week 29, uh, which is Isaiah's chapters 13 through 30, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, 2 Chronicles chapters 29 through 31, Psalms 48, and Hosea chapters 1 through 14. Timeline is 725 BC. So let's jump right into Isaiah. God has Isaiah speak about what will happen to Babylon, and in verse 13, 17, he speaks specifically about the Medes. And the Medes do conquer Babylon in 539 BC. And meanwhile, Isaiah is writing this between 700 and 740 BC, about 160 years before it happened. And not only does God have Isaiah speak as to who will conquer, but what kind of people the Medes were. Then, once the Medes come, we see that God will begin to restore Israel, uh, Judah. At this point, the ten tribes of Israel have been relocated, married other races, and are essentially lost to history. However, the remnant of Israel, those from Judah, will be restored, and their story is what will continue on throughout the Bible. In Isaiah 14, verses 9 through 27, we get to not only see the destruction of Babylon, but the rise and fall of Satan himself. He is the morning star whose ego was so big, he thought he could overtake God. And we see that in the end, it doesn't matter what he does. Satan will be just like any other soul who didn't follow God. He will be cast down, defeated, and no power to do anything but burn for all eternity. Isaiah 14 also starts down the destruction of Israel's other enemies, specifically the Philistines and Moab. And uh, Moab, you got two chapters, so dang. And in verse 13 of chapter 16, we see that all the wickedness and their destruction will happen in three years of Isaiah writing this. In chapter 17, we see the prophecy of the destruction of Damascus. Now you may be saying, but Kelly, Damascus is still a city. And you are right. And while Damascus had a bloody and horrible time with the Assyrians, they came through and conquered them. Its ultimate destruction has not come yet, just like Satan's has it. In Isaiah 18, in case you are wondering who God is speaking of here after the destruction of Cush, it's Ethiopia. In Isaiah 19, uh, we see what will happen to Egypt. And as a theme has been so far, some of it has come to pass and some of it will come to pass. Not all has been fulfilled. Isaiah 23 tells of Tyre and Tarshish and their destruction. And in case you wondered, Tyre is the modern day Lebanon and Tarshish is on the coast of Spain. Or rather, they were. In Isaiah 24, we get to see Earth's destruction. I know in my own life that sometimes it feels like God moves too slowly to right my wrongs, but that feeling is a liar. We know that God loves humanity so much, he gives her and us time to change our ways and come back to him so that we can have redemption. But there will come a day when that will stop and it will be too late for all of humanity. Those who believe in him will be with him and those who chose anything other than Christ, they will be destroyed. And since we've seen how prophecy after prophecy comes true in God's word, it isn't a far leap to think that all of them will come to be. 
Isaiah 25 and 26 allows us to praise the Lord for his patience, his love, and how truly he does right the wrongs. He forgives us and allows us to be with him. Sometimes I truly don't get how God can love me or anyone else for that matter with the way that we behave, but praise him, he does. In chapter 27, not only does God come to the rescue of his people, but he will slay Leviathan, the great beast of the sea. And I'm just hoping that in heaven we get to see this because I want to know what that sucker looks like. And then as I continue in chapters 27 and 28, I am always struck at the power, glory, and love of God. I think in this chapter there is more proof that while evil thinks it is winning, it isn't. God redeems his people. He shows them his love and grace, and it doesn't matter what evil thought it could do. God will destroy its plans with nothing more than a whisper of a word. Isaiah 29, we see a prophecy of Israel where all the nations will be against her, but the Lord will come and her enemies will be like dust. Bye-bye. And then with an earthquake, a great noise, a windstorm, a tempest, and flames of devouring fire, God will remove every nation against Israel. None of you are surviving. Just, just know that now. Not a one of you. Isaiah 30. Did you feel singled out? when you read this uh, because it started with woe to the obstinate children and not because I was a bad kid but because I am an obstinate person and can be especially so when God wants me to do something I very much do not want to do if that's you you're not alone come stand next to me and we'll take our punishment together thankfully if you love God and have accepted Christ you are now seen by God with Christ's righteousness and he loves you and will protect you the ones who don't though the ones who haven't accepted Christ, and it is to their destruction. On that happy note, uh, let's go to our history books in 2 Kings 18, verses 1 through 8, and 2 Chronicles 29 through 31. And we meet Hezekiah, king of Judah. And guess what? No drinking here. Do not need to take a drink. He did right in the sight of God. I know, shocker, especially at this point. But not only was he a good God, but he even more so than others because he removes the high places, smashes the sacred stones, and cuts down the Asher poles. And then we see he broke up the bronze stake that Moses had made per God to cure any one of the Israelites in the desert who had been bit by a snake. And it's not because God created that. It's because the Israelites turned and started worshiping that creation rather than the creator. Furthermore, he never stops following after the Lord. In return, the Lord was with him and allowed him to defeat the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. He also opened the doors of the temple of the Lord, brought the priests and Levites back, and made them consecrate themselves and the temple. He called out on the rest of the people to serve the Lord, as that is what is best for everyone. And he had sacrifices brought so that they could sacrifice to God. As in all good services, there was also incredible music. Can't wait to hear the tunes! Then he sent word to all of Judah and Israel to come to the temple to celebrate Passover since they were unable to before because the priests were not available. Kind of difficult. And a very large crowd came into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread and even cleared away all the bad altars and they celebrated. And because this kind of celebration hadn't been seen since King David, it brought people together. As they left, they smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asher poles as they went throughout Judah. Then the king of Assyria shows up and he wants Judah. He starts to come into the territory. Hezekiah consults his military and they make sure that the water is kept to them and cut off to Assyria. They not only patch the wall that is currently surrounding the city, but create a new one surrounding that. Then the king of Assyria is like, who do you think is going to save you from me? Hezekiah's 
the Lord Almighty. Duh. The king's man is like, seriously? A god? Whatever, dude. You are so going down. And listen, people of Judah, your king is an idiot and is lying to you that this god, quote unquote, will save you. I wouldn't listen to him if I were you. However, Hezekiah and Isaiah, yes, the one from the book, prayed to heaven about this, and the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men, commanders, and officers in the Assyrian camp. So the king withdrew. <laughs> Going down, buddy. Hezekiah and the rest of Judah brought offerings and valuable gifts to the temple for the Lord because of this. Now Hezekiah had a moment, and don't we all, where he was ill to the point of death and prayed to the Lord about it, and the Lord gave him a miraculous sign, but Hezekiah was proud and showed no gratitude. The Lord was like, nah, not today. Thankfully, Hezekiah came to his sense and repented of his pride, and the people did the same, so the wrath did not come during his days. Now we get to Hosea. Two things come to mind when I think about Hosea and his wife and children. First, I think of the book Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers, one of my absolute favorites. Highly recommend the book. I begged my mom to read it because when I read it, I got to the very end of the book and I went back to the very beginning because I did not want to leave that story. It was so good. But my mother wouldn't read it, <laughs> even with that. Finally, she was going on a car trip and asked for a book and I brought it to her, forcing her to read it. <laughs> and she comes back and she's like, that was amazing, and it's now one of her favorites, too. Um, the second thing, however, is that I can hear someone telling their poor kids, yo mama was a hoe. I'm just going to leave that one there. So here's Hosea, a man of God. He, too, is living in the time of Isaiah, and he is alive during Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. God tells him to marry a prostitute, which, okay, but as with everything, God has a purpose and meaning for everything he calls us to do. And Hosea obeys and marries Gomer. Sadly, as I am an elder millennial, when I hear Gomer, I think of Gomer Piles, which makes my mental picture of this woman way off. She marries Hosea and they have a son. The Lord gives the name and it is Jezreel because God is going to punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and will put an end to Israel. Now, I have no doubt that there was a revolutionary soldier who ended up naming his kid Boston or maybe even Yorktown. So I kind of get this one. Sadly, though, the daughter gets the short end of the stick as far as names go, as her name means not loved. But I do know she was loved by her family, as God will go on and change the names to the opposite of their meaning. However, the name was because God would no longer show love. So I guess if someone came for poor Lo Rumon talking about her mama, she could turn around and say, at least God didn't stop showing me love. And really, that's a burn. Then there's another son, whose name means not my people. And, uh, yeah. If God is not showing you his love, you are certainly not his people. So uplifting first chapter. But as with everything with God, here comes chapter two. And while a bit brutal and harsh, as is reality, we get to see why this book, and more importantly, the Bible, is a love story to us. First part of the chapter is all about how Israel acted like a prostitute and went after everything and everyone but their own God. The God who provided everything for them, their land, their food, their might, their drink, their clothes, etc. And they just forgot he existed. Until, of course, the false friends and lovers proved who they were, and then they wanted to go crawling back to God, but not out of love, but out of greed, and they didn't like the circumstances they were in. They don't confess any of their sins, and they certainly don't acknowledge that they did anything wrong. So, God shows how he left them exposed to the world for what they had done to him. 
how they scorned their first love, how they forgot and chased after stupid things and won their stupid prizes. Yeah, there's a lot of Taylor Swift references in this, but um, oh well. Then God shows mercy and grace, and instead of continuing with the punishment they so rightfully deserve, and we deserve, he has Israel follow him. Gets Israel away from the abuse of people it hung out with, and he heals her and loves on her. And once Israel realizes how loved they are, they return their heart back to God. And then God has Hosea show his wife the same love he gives to Israel. Seriously, go read Redeeming Love. It really captures this book and the amazing love of God. I cannot recommend it more. Then we get to see that God is so patient with us and desires us to follow him that when he stacks up the sins against Israel, we should see ourselves and then bask in how much God loves for us. Even when the list of our sins are laid out, just like he lays it out with Israel, he will come back to them and he will love them just like he will for us. I do want to point out that actions do have consequences and it doesn't matter how much you are loved and you you have to face what you did. That's why Israel was punished. The fastest way to redemption, repentance. That's what Israel did and that's what we must do when we are wrong. I am now off my soapbox there. And this is also the end of the episode. So if you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.